Welcome to SLU Law Summations, presenting brief looks at legal matters that matter to you by St. Louis University School of Law, located in the heart of downtown St. Louis. The coronavirus pandemic has arguably been the most altering event for the workplace in decades. While much of the workforce remains remote, zooming into meetings, many others, either by choice or necessity, work in person. The pandemic has also shown a spotlight on the unsafe workplaces that thousands of Americans work in on a daily basis. As a vaccine shows us a light at the end of the tunnel, what can we expect when we return to work? I'm Jessica Sacconi, Director of Communications. To tackle these issues, we are joined by Professor Matt Bodie, Co-Director of the William C. Weffel Center for Employment Law. Professor Bodie is an expert in employment and labor law. Thank you for joining us today. So you were recently interviewed by the Washington Post for an interesting story on unemployment benefits. It seems that many people who decided to leave their job because they didn't feel safe in the workplace during the pandemic could not actually collect unemployment. So how often does that happen? And and don't like employers have a legal obligation to provide their employees with a safe workplace? Yes, so there is a legal obligation both uh, under traditional state common law, but also under federal regulations uh, under the Occupational Safety and Health Administration. They promulgate regulations that help employers figure out what a safe workplace is and then obviously penalize workplaces that don't follow that. Uh, The problem was the pandemic was kind of thrust upon these workplaces. We had the initial shutdown period where a lot of workplaces closed. And then there was a lot of different types of thinking about whether it was safe to reopen, when should companies reopen, what types of companies should reopen, uh, what sort of workplace protections should they provide. Uh, The CDC did provide some guidance, uh, but that guidance has shifted over time. You probably remember initially when masks were uh, not really seen as that important. Um, The Surgeon General saying, hey, we, we don't need you all to rush out and get N95s, but in fact, that would have you know, we didn't have the N95s to give out at that point, but a lot of workplaces would have been safer mm-hmm. um, if we had had those. So that's kind of part of the problem here is we had a pandemic kind of pushed on top of a existing system that was not really designed to deal with the pandemic. So because the, um, the CDC issued guidelines, but those guidelines weren't binding mm-hmm. and because they were often a little vague at times about you know, how each individual workplace should carry them out. Uh, and because the guidance has changed over time with regard to masks, uh, washing hands, washing hands was really important. I think now it's a little less important, although it's still part of the guidance. Um, there's just a lot of questions out there about what is safe and what level of safety is appropriate is another question. And you're seeing this play out uh, with schools as well, a lot of a debate about what sort of tolerance we should have for the possibility of you know, getting infected um, versus kind of carrying on with our normal everyday lives. So, at the workplace, you had this conflict, particularly I'd say probably around late April, May, mm-hmm. um, and then going through the summer where a lot of workplaces started to reopen uh, and particularly a lot of states with Republican governors, Republican legislatures saw reopening as an important political push. Mm-hmm. Uh, other states uh, with democratic governors, democratic legislatures were more hesitant just to kind of paint with a broad brush there. Um, And then you had kind of workers caught in the middle, some workers who really wanted to get back to work, some small businesses that wanted to reopen and were frustrated that they couldn't. 
but then you also had some workers who were worried about going back to work right. um, and didn't think that the, the programs in place at their particular workplace were safe enough. Mm -hmm. right? and, and you didn't really have like any clear answers there. So a lot of times you had these individual employees saying, hey, I don't feel comfortable going back to this workplace. You know, um, maybe they're not observing uh, mask guidelines. Maybe we're not social distancing. You know, maybe there are guidelines in place, but people aren't following them and they're not mm -hmm. getting enforced. Uh, you saw that um, there's a story recently about the aquarium in St. Louis or allegations from employees that uh, there were guidelines in place, but they weren't being enforced mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. on employees as well as customers, right? Another thing you have to worry about when, right. if you're a retail establishment is our customers being told to follow the guidelines. Mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. could have all the employees doing everything right, but then customers are milling around without masks. Or right. So, and then the onus is put on the, an employee to like right. enforce those rules. And so, that yeah. might not be safe too. We've seen a couple mm -hmm. instances where employees were attacked or, or, you know, um, either verbally or even physically in some cases mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. um, trying to enforce those guidelines. Um, so you had a lot of situations where employees had to make individual judgments about whether it was either safe or not safe to go back to their job or safe or not safe to take a new job. Let's say they'd been laid off, then they're offered a new position. Um, is it safe to go to that job that's reopened? Um, and they had to make their own call. Now, the, 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 the law says, the unemployment law is it's state by state. Right? The interesting thing from a you know, legal structure perspective is unemployment is a state program, but it's funded by the feds on a certain level. Mm -hmm. And particularly in situations like the 2008 financial crisis and this pandemic, we've gotten a lot of federal money that's kind of flown in to uh, support states, but it's still primarily up to the states to administer these programs. Mm -hmm. So most states, uh, I think pretty much every state has a good cause um, requirement, which is that if you have good cause to leave your job, um, kind of a constructive discharge type of protection, that normally if you voluntarily leave your job, you don't get unemployment. Right, right, that was going to be my question. Right, right. <laughs> so if you voluntarily leave your job, mm -hmm. you don't get unemployment. Mm -hmm. um, or if you're fired um, for good cause, uh, meaning that, or and not not good cause, but if you're fired for uh, really, <laughs> really making a mistake, mm -hmm. um, if you have kind of acted negligently in the job mm -hmm. or endangered your coworkers, then under those circumstances as well, you can be denied unemployment. Mm -hmm. And there are, there's a set, uh, each state has its own kind of administrative apparatus. Usually you have administrative uh, hearings where the workers represent themselves. Usually they can bring in counsel, but then the company mm -hmm. comes in, they usually have uh, attorneys representing them. And then there's a hearing that may go up to a higher level a, a review board, and then mm -hmm. it may go into the court system as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that obviously takes a long time and you might not have an answer or you, the answer might change, right? The right. people might say, no, you should have stayed. And then the court might say, no, you were right. It was unsafe. So you had these employees making these decisions in this context. Uh, and it was just a lot, a lot more of those types of decisions than the system's used to, right? Right. And, you know, yeah, they just have, haven't had the time to like actually catch up to what's happening because it was so fast. Right, right. So you have all these, just a lot of workers in that position of having to say, hey, I'm going to leave my job 
and I still think I should get unemployment. And then the employer says, well, they voluntarily left. Mm -hmm. We have been cleared for reopening by mm -hmm. our Department of Health uh, or by the legislature of our state. And so, you know, and, and that was the message that was coming again from the Trump administration, Department of Labor, that, which is that if, if you've been cleared to reopen, then you should be at work. And if you're not at work, then you're not gonna get unemployment. Mm -hmm. So in this case that was in the in the Washington Post was did they actually end up getting unemployment or like has there been any kind of flips on that um, for those folks? There's a couple different uh, cases that were mentioned mm -hmm. um, and in, in those cases right some sometimes those people did get unemployment um, and it's it was easier to get unemployment if you had, been laid off and you were refusing mm -hmm. to return or if you um, had been laid off and you were offered a different type of job. Right. Right. In those situations, it's a little harder. But when you voluntarily leave a job that is open, mm -hmm. let's say that you were laid off for a period of time in April 2020 and then you were invited back to work in May, you went back to work. There's a couple of examples of these folks in the article. And you just didn't like how things were being handled. Mm -hmm. right? I think one person was a daycare worker. Another person was working uh, at a, a manufacturing plant. Both mm -hmm, the cases, mm -hmm. they thought there wasn't adequate, uh, you know, wipe down of equipment or mm -hmm. masking. They left, right? The problem is the employer says, okay, it's a voluntary quit. That's going to be the message that the unemployment system gets. And then the worker has to kind of fight that decision. Right. So it's harder for them to get the, mm -hmm. they have to kind of fight their way through to get it. Um, but if they would have never come back, maybe it would have been a different scenario if they refuse to come back with that if they might have come back if they, it might have been a little easier for them although in those mm -hmm. situations as well the employer can report yeah. to unemployment you know yeah. we invited them back they didn't come back yeah. so um uh so but again because in, in you know in normal times right these types of decisions are a little different right and you might think okay why is someone leaving this job that they've had mm -hmm. we're going to be a little suspicious that it suddenly mm -hmm. became a bad job right mm -hmm. but obviously nor jobs that can seem very safe normally right after a pandemic can be suddenly very you know or relatively dangerous right um and, and so the system hasn't really i think worked with those people that the the article was responding to some guidance that the biden administration has put out yeah. saying to states you know what we think you should be a little more flexible and forgiving mm -hmm. with people who were worried about the safety of their workplace uh, and continuing, right? I mean, uh, I'm talking a lot about what happened in May of last year, but I mean, these things are continuing, right? A, a lot Absolutely. of, yeah, a lot, a lot of decisions are being made every day about, mm -hmm. you know, should we reopen this part? You know, we've seen uh, locally just the decision about restaurants is going to flip back oh, and yeah. forth a number of different times. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, those are all workers who are deciding, you know, should I come back to work? Should I not come back to work? You know, that's what yeah, weighing their risks. I mean, that's, yeah. This whole thing has been about like, where, where what's your level of comfort with your risk level? Um, exactly. So exactly. we've talked, you touched on a little bit about teachers and like that's a super hot topic, especially now with the Biden administration and the push to like bring everyone, you know, try to get everyone back in the classroom. Um, a lot of the news centers around like teachers unions, I guess, refusing to go back. So how do labor union negotiations work during a pandemic and are are the unions like there to are they able to protect their members or is it kind of just like you know i don't know whatever the government says we have to do or the you know local authorities uh, you know how does that work now i guess 
Yeah, well, there it's a little different in that we have these big institutions making the decisions rather than individual employers and employees, mm -hmm. right? So instead of one teacher and one school, which you might have say at a private or parochial school, right? Um, you know, do I feel comfortable going back or not? Um, when we're talking about these, you know, public school systems, these are decisions being made, you know, that cover, you know, hundreds, thousands of workers. Mm -hmm. um, so each state kind of can decide what it's, position is going to be. And I know a lot of the times in the media, it's positioned that, you know, the, the unions are refusing to come back. You know, ultimately it's collective bargaining and the state could say, you know, we're going to bargain with you, but at the end of the day, we want schools to reopen. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and, you know, the union might fight that. And there are different legal ways in which, you know, the union might say within the particular state system that, you know, the bargaining wasn't conducted properly. Um, but the, the odd thing is, is that the state legislatures really have a lot of control about what rights unions have within their particular state. I mean, in this, in our state, in Missouri, there is a ruling from the Supreme Court saying that in the Missouri Constitution, there is a right to collective bargaining. Mm -hmm. But like how that is actually fleshed out, what that means is something that's generally left to the legislature. So, um, so the unions here are essentially pressing their claim. They're they are bargaining about whether it's safe to come back to work. Um, obviously, the school's kind of shut down in March of last year. Most mm -hmm. school systems, I think, if not all of them. Um, and the decision was made then that it was unsafe to return. And I think a lot of schools decided to kind of ride that out for the rest of the year. Mm -hmm. um, but then, you know, the idea of collective bargaining is that the employees and the management folks all get together and talk about, you know, how are we going to handle this? And it just, it just hasn't really, um, there hasn't really been a consensus about what is the level of safety that we should expect and how can we get there? Right. You know, right. Um, how, you know, I think there's this, this six feet apart is kind of the magic number. You know, I don't, I'm not a scientist or a medical expert, but I know that, you know, it, it's not a magic number, right? Mm -hmm. And you can have be six feet apart and still be exposed to the virus, particularly if you're in one classroom. Right. You know, I think masks have gone a long way in, mm -hmm. in doing that. And, and I think that's what the idea of the CDC guidance for schools is, but that's not binding on individual state systems, right? They don't right. have to follow mm -hmm. the CDC <laughs> guidelines. It's, it's just more, they're trying to kind of coalesce around an idea that, hey, this is something that people can talk about. And, you know, mm -hmm. this is kind of like a, a baseline from which to kind of discuss whether we want to go, you know, more than the, what the CDC recommends or less than the, what the CDC recommends. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a very complicated situation, really. I mean, the, the state could say, look, all your teachers are going back to work. And if you don't like it, well, then you can be fired. Um, you know, the union could respond with a strike. There might be other procedural state laws that would allow the union to kind of fight that in court or something along those lines. Mm -hmm. um, and when we saw but, all those teacher strikes, like, what was that, like eight, two years ago now? Right, exactly. Time is irrelevant. In, uh, in, uh, yeah, in Oklahoma, in uh, Arizona, West Virginia, mm -hmm. right? And those were very successful and they weren't in the midst of a pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, and I do think you do see some parental splits too, right? There are some parents who are concerned about the kids going back to school. There are other parents who very much want their children to go back to school. And then, you know, there's some parents who want both things, right? They're concerned about it, but they want their kids back at school. So mm -hmm. um, it's, it's a really tough issue. 
Um, and I do think I've seen in the media, the union's kind of getting the blame here when it's really um, the unions plus the state bargaining together, right? If the state had a very aggressive position and was like, hey, you all are coming back because that's what the parents want. That's what we know we want. You know, the union might fight that, but ultimately they can't override the state, right? The, the unions don't have that. They have to work it out. <laughs> yeah, they have to work. I mean, they could go on strike, right? which obviously <laughs> would maybe it's much more complicated, but you know, they're not getting paid during the strike in, mm -hmm. in theory. So, you know, um, I, 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 it's not a no brainer that the unions get to do whatever they want here. Mm -hmm. um, we've certainly seen that that's not the case. A lot of other situations involving public sector unions but as you point out, there have been some recent displays of strength by teachers unions in particular. And so maybe that's why states have been reluctant to yeah. take them on. But I, I think it's more than that. I think it's that states don't want to do something that is controversial in the first place without the support of the teachers unions, because right. they don't want to say, hey, we're reopening and then have, you know, a picket next to it saying it's unsafe. That's why, you know, we don't want to endanger you and your children. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. going back it's just so many other factors now that, that we have never ever considered um right you you would think we'd be a little bit more clear on things a year into this but so yes that's the <laughs> when you've had politics too right because you know again there's kind of the republican idea that going back is important and that you know some of the safety measures are left important and we have to kind of go on with their lives and then you've had the kind of the democratic perspective which is the you know we have to follow the scientific guidance and safety is of the utmost importance. And if we have to kind of give up some of our interconnectivity or some of our in-person learning, then, you know, that's what we need to do. Uh, but, you know, even within, you know, democratic circles or within Republican circles, there are more nuanced opinions, right? I mean, certainly there, I know there are democratic politicians who are very worried about, you know, students being out of school for such a long period of time mm -hmm. um, and that remote learning being inequitable for students who don't have the same technological resources. So right. it's, a, it's really, like you say, it's really complicated and it's tough. And I think it's easy to scapegoat the mm -hmm. unions, but I don't I don't think, I, they may take strong positions on it, but they're by no means the decision makers, you know, singularly in this in this situation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I guess to touch on something that we were briefly talking about before. So, so you know, employees, there's been a variety of different ways of like people bringing um, their employees, their workforce back. You know, some people are remote while others like kind of phase it in, or, you know, you have one person coming in on Tuesdays and the other person on Thursday. <clears throat> but I guess the question is, can an employer force their employees to return to the office? Um, or do they have to like provide an accommodation if someone's like, well, I don't feel safe coming in. I mean, generally speaking, a lot of the companies that I've heard of um, have been like, okay, well, then stay home mm -hmm. um, and a little bit of flexibility. But there are obviously companies that don't have that kind of built in um, to their, you know, not persona, but, you know. Um, so what are, what are like the legal kind of aspects of that, I guess? Yeah, yeah. Again, we're just kind of, you know, taking this pandemic and putting it on top of our existing legal structure for the most part. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, there is the existing duty under the Americans with Disabilities Act to accommodate those employees with disabilities. And so if you have a greater risk of a either contracting the disease or uh, 
a greater risk of having an, a really adverse reaction to the disease, which we've seen with some types of disabilities like type two diabetes, for example. Um, mm -hmm. Then the employer has a duty under the ADA to accommodate that employee, uh, mm -hmm. but the employer does not have to take on an undue burden in making that accommodation. So mm -hmm. again, the difficulty here is that each job, even within various workplaces, each job can have a different kind of, you know, level of interaction or mm -hmm. uh, engagement such that, you know, working at home might work for one employee, but not for another employee. Um, and so then the answer really is, what ultimately would be decided in a case if it was heard before a judge, and we can't always answer that because it's complicated and you know, different courts might even come up with different answers depending on how they evaluate the um, underlying disability, what the accommodations would be and whether that accommodation would be an undue burden on the employer. Mm -hmm. um, so can an employer force back an employee? Um, they can say, we're gonna fire you if you don't come back but then the employee might be able to sue under the ADA and say, you know, I should have been accommodated in this particular way. Um, and so it kind of, I think, behooves both the employer and the employee to have a conversation and try and figure out what makes sense. You know, what is the accommodation that might work? Um, if I don't have a disability, and the, the definition of disability was expanded in 2008 under the law, and so it's much broader than it used to be under the Supreme Court, but um, if I don't have a disability that in particular, you know, kind of would heighten my risk uh, in a significant way with regard to the pandemic, then, uh, you know, if I'm just kind of worried about the disease uh, mm -hmm. and getting it, um, again, the employer could say, well, I'm sorry, you have to come back. Mm -hmm. um, and then we get back to that unemployment conversation, which is would I be entitled to unemployment insurance? Uh, could I say that I, you know, quit because of good cause? for fear of you know right. catching the virus or mm -hmm. would the employer be able to say sorry you know um you're you're not your situation was not risky enough mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. to justify uh not coming to work mm -hmm. so just this may not be rel not relevant but it feels like um so the expansion of the ADA back in the and this would this is question for pendo too but um mm -hmm. <laughs> um did that include like mental health issues? Because obviously people going back to work might have like super high anxiety and I can't actually function because we're going on a tangent, but you know, just a Right, right, right. Yeah, you know, I, I, I am not an expert in the extent to which mental health issues are accommodated under mm -hmm. the ADA, mm -hmm. um, but you know, a mental health disability could be a disability under the ADA, certainly. Yeah, um, yeah. And um, there would be a need for an accommodation under the ADA, mm -hmm. uh, and then the just question would be: Is you know, um, at what at what level, how how extensive can that accommodation mm -hmm. be, right? Um, and you know, I think again, this is where we get into each workplace, yeah, being different, right? Even different schools, right? Some schools mm -hmm. will be like, okay, in person learning is a really important part of what we do, and you need to be here, mm -hmm. or you should find other work. Whereas other schools mm -hmm. be like, oh, you know, we have a lot of folks doing remote teaching. And so, you know, if you, if you want to teach remotely, that's perfectly fine. Right. Right. You know, mm -hmm. uh, and some schools have just have gone entirely remote, right. And say, mm -hmm. don't even give people the choice. Right. So, you know, people might want to come in and teach and they're not allowed to. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and, and so I know at least uh, uh, anecdotally, I've, I've heard of one 
professor who has um, a hearing disability that makes it very difficult for that professor to teach, um, not at our university, at a different mm -hmm. university, but makes it very difficult for them to teach um, online. And so, you know, how does that employee get accommodated? Right. right? Um, uh, because when they were they originally took the job, they did not need to right. worry about that sort of thing. Yeah. So, so there's there a lot of complexity. Um, yeah. And I think just looking at some of the HR guidance, right, the HR guidance is kind of similar to what you might expect, which is, you know, just trying to work with employees, trying to figure out what's reasonable. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, the, the employee doesn't have the final say mm -hmm. uh, in terms of whether it's safe enough to return or what they think mm -hmm. is appropriate. Mm -hmm. So I guess like moral of the story for a lot of what we're talking about is like, it depends because we've never done this before, right? Right. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, light at the end of the tunnel, the vaccine is, you know, working its way through our, our vulnerable folks. Um, when it's available to the general public, like how can employers encourage their employees to get vaccinated? And, and is there any instance where they can, where it can be required? You know, um, I looked into this a little bit. Uh, once again, I, I mean, I actually think most employers could require it if they wanted to. Um, the exceptions would be, again, under the ADA, um, mm -hmm. you might have a disability that makes taking the vaccine dangerous, right? I know there's certain people who have um, uh, allergies and might get mm -hmm. anaphylactic mm -hmm. reactions to uh, taking a vaccine. Um, that person could ask for an accommodation and not get the vaccine. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and again, it would depend on the job, right? There might be some jobs, say, for example, working in a nursing home where you might not want that employee um, to be working with patients. Uh, now, if the patients are all vaccinated and you know the concern is less, right, then maybe you can make an accommodation for that employee. Mm -hmm. um, there's also religious accommodations under Title VII um, of the 1964 Civil Rights Act. Mm -hmm. um, and there, you know, the question would be, is the, re is the religious belief genuine and based on religious concerns? And then again, could there be an accommodation? The, the, the religious protections have not been interpreted as kind of broadly as the disability one. So in terms of accommodating, employers don't have to try it um, as many different things, or they don't have to take on as much of a burden. I think it's a similar test, but the way it's been defined is, is um, the, the difficulty that the employer encounters is a lower threshold, meaning that the employer doesn't have to try as hard to accommodate oh, okay. the religious um, religious hmm. concern. Um, again, that, that, you know, and again, I, I, I know that there are um, some religious um, uh, traditions that do not believe in vaccines in general or do not believe in medical interventions such as mm -hmm. vaccines. So, mm -hmm. you know, I think those folks would be, um, I think the employers would probably most likely already be aware of those situations. Mm -hmm. um, and again, most of the time vaccines, you know, are gonna be, they, the state might very well require them in certain types of positions, mm -hmm. right? Like again, you know, food service or, um, uh, you know, working at a nursing home or working in a hospital setting, that sort of thing. But I have seen evidence that a lot of healthcare workers are turning down the vaccine. So, yeah, you know, yeah. uh, the hospitals aren't requiring it. 
which right. seems like that would be the place where you would see it, right? Um, right, right. Mm -hmm. um, particularly if the, if, the, if the evidence comes out that it makes it a lot harder for you to transmit the disease. Mm -hmm. uh, because there will be people who are medically, it's medically dangerous for them to get vaccinated. I don't know how big a percentage that is, but right. um, certainly you hear, you know, messaging from public health authorities that, you know, you should get the flu shot, even if you're not worried about yourself getting the flu, you could transmit it to mm -hmm. a child in your family or an older older adult in your family, and that would be more dangerous for them. Mm -hmm. um, there may be some um, folks with immune uh, disorders that uh, make it difficult for them to take these vaccines. Again, you know, so, yeah. so I, I've been a little surprised that they haven't had more requirements, but it might be that, you know, with masking and enough, uh, you know, personal protective equipment, that that's enough of an accommodation and the employer is not really worried about transmission right. either to the employee or from the employee. Mm -hmm. I guess time will tell on that, on that one too, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so when yeah. all is said and done and we look back at this time, like how do you think the workplace will have changed? It's a loaded question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a big question. And um, a lot of people are thinking about it. You know, I think one way is just what we're doing right now, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we're talking remotely. Mm -hmm. Normally, we'd be at the podcast studio. Mm -hmm. And um, that, I think, will change in that a lot of workplaces are going to think about to what extent do we need in-person facilities to what extent do we want to require workers to come in five days a week eight mm -hmm. hours a day versus you know i've heard some talk about you know more flexible schedules like so you come in monday and thursday or something and we have all our meetings on monday you know or you know i i think again very different based on the workplace mm -hmm. right um what the workplace will require you know just with respect to law schools right will law schools still have hybrid teaching where we allow for online students or will we all uh, re require people to come back in person mm -hmm. um, once you know we are comfortable that the pandemic has been kind of managed um you know i, I think that's a really interesting question i don't know the answer um but that's the kind of question that a lot of businesses are going to get and right. so you're hearing hearing you know Hearing things like, you know, commercial real estate is going to be a lot less valuable because there's going to be a lot less people that are going mm -hmm. into work. Um, I don't know that that's true. And I do think there's, I, I think one thing the pandemic has in some ways taught people is that there, there is a lot of value in connection and mm -hmm. that doing it this way is maybe not terrible, but it's, it definitely is not as nice as, you know, having a meeting around a table or having a lunchtime yeah. talk or, mm -hmm. you know, having mm -hmm. a retreat somewhere or, mm -hmm. you know, just interacting with people in kind of a casual way. Um, right. And it's hard to- water cooler conversations. Exactly. The water cooler conversation. It's interesting uh, with the work that I was doing with um, Miriam Cherry and Marsha McCormick mm -hmm. uh, and a business school professor um, studying people analytics, right? That was one thing that was studied through people analytics was um, to what extent do certain employees kind of have more cross-pollination within the organization. And there was this thing called the sociometric badge, which was kind of innovated, but also a little creepy. In that <laughs> it, um, it followed workers around. So it was like a GPS device, but then also recorded their conversations and kind of registered who they were 
talking to. Mm-hmm. And it allegedly it didn't really look at the content, but it looked at kind of the emotional tone. So if they raised their voice or mm-hmm. if they talked real quietly, you know, mm-hmm. like that sort of thing was measured. And then like the worker productivity was measured against that. And yeah, the upshot is that the, um, the badge was trying to figure out, are there people who this might not show up in the statistics, so to speak, or it might not be appreciated, but there are people kind of, like you say, wander around to the water cooler, more likely to chat up their employees, you know, pop by with a question and that there's a lot of value in that that's underappreciated. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, I, I think that's the sort of thing that it's going to potentially change the workplace, but then Mm -hmm. is it really going to change it as much, right? Some people, oh, we're going to do everything on zoom. You know, I just don't see that happening um but i do think one question will be particularly when it comes to accommodations you know to what extent will we be able to accommodate people Mm -hmm. more um Mm -hmm. by having them work at home um will other employees see that as fair um you know i think there'll be some of those conversations Mm -hmm. well i guess you know hopefully we've all learned a little bit about not only how we work, but how we interact with people um, from this. And we take those lessons and we apply them to being more productive, I guess, in the future, right? Um, Whatever that might look like, but it sounds like we're going to have to check back with you um, when we're we're kind of further along with this and see if we have any more clear clear guidelines, right? Um, So I guess um, thank you for joining us today, Matt. All right. Thank you, Jessica. Really enjoyed it. Thank you for joining us for SLU Law Summations, produced by St. Louis University School of Law.